welcome to another episode of You Are Not A Frog, fertiliser for your brain. Now, whether we've been working on the front line or not, most of us have been sitting for even longer than usual and it's getting harder and harder to stay active, fit and well, particularly in the new lockdown and as the nights are getting darker earlier and earlier. Well, in this podcast episode, I'm chatting with Michael Ledzian, who calls himself the Sportivator. Now, Michael has set up an innovative organisation which sends athletes into school to raise money, promote exercise and good health. We're chatting about the fascinating effects of just small amounts of exercise on your brain. We talk about why it's a key requirement for high performance and how to start making those small changes that count. You know that I'm a massive fan of being able to make small changes. So listen if you want to find out just why being active is like fertilizer for your brain. Why we seem so often to neglect this vital performance booster and why you might find yourself doing press ups at coffee time if you work in Michael's office. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, doctors and other busy professionals in high-stress jobs. Even before the coronavirus crisis, many of us were feeling stressed and one crisis away from not coping. We felt like frogs in boiling water, overwhelmed and exhausted. But this has crept up on us slowly, so we hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm. And let's face it, frogs generally only have two choices, stay and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave but you are not a frog. And that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more options than you think you do. It is possible to be master of your own destiny and to craft your life so that you can thrive even in the most difficult of circumstances. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Morris, GP turned executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I work with doctors and other organizations all over the country to help professionals and their teams beat stress and take control of their work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control to survive and thrive in our work and lives. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours? then it's time to get your life back. And that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60 minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. So it's really great to have with me on the podcast today, Michael Lesian. Now, Michael is a self-described chief sportivator, and I really wanted Michael to come on to talk about the power of exercise. Now, Michael's a tech entrepreneur who now runs a social enterprise bringing Olympic athletes into schools. So, Michael, just in- introduce yourself a-, a little bit further for us. Yeah, so as, as you say, I've now got this social enterprise called Sports for Schools. We arrange for athletes to visit uh, schools and inspire children. They really talk about their experiences. It's about motivating kids to do more than they might otherwise do, the resilience, but also around physical activity and health. I used to uh, uh, run tech businesses in sort of Cambridge and some of them sort of California-based, but I just wanted to get on with something more interesting, more sort of meaningful, shall I say, not interesting. It's a fascinating world, actually, tech world. And so I uh, got into this, and then I started getting interested in physical activity you know, and, and reading up about it. I read a book by John Ratey, 
who wrote a book called Spark, and that that really uh, literally sparked off my interest about five six years ago. So yeah, I'm in the process of writing a book aimed at teachers and, and parents to help them understand just how incredible this stuff is, uh, physical mm-hmm. activity. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the reason why I wanted to get you on the podcast, because whenever we meet up, we always end up talking about exercise and the power of exercise and how important it is and how pretty much most people say, you know, there's some people that get a bit obsessed with it and maybe doing a little bit too much, but but it, it's a struggle. And I think when we get really busy and when we get really overworked particularly as professionals exercise is often the first thing that goes when actually if you look at all the evidence and everything to do with exercise it should be the first thing that you put in when you get too busy not not the first thing that goes has that been your experience in your own life oh completely as you you know Rebecca my wife and she will she knows what happens when I don't uh, go out for a bit of exercise every day you know that's the acid test isn't it but it is and actually we uh, I started talking about this with my team in in the company and uh, actually one of them took it right on and we've ended up uh, he he had an alarm that goes off every uh, two minutes I say we're not had because obviously we're not together in the office at the moment but every hour it would go beep beep and we'd all get down and do 20 press-ups um, uh, or something, you know, not everybody felt strong enough to do press-ups. And so it was something. And that carried on in various different ways. That started three or four years ago. And it's a fabulous, simple way of just getting exercise into your, in your daily life. The stats are very interesting. And so, you know, you and I live in Britain, uh, maybe some people listening to this outside of the country, but uh, over 80%, in fact, 85% of girls and about 80-ish percent of boys this isn't the five to 17 year old bracket don't do enough physical activity and all that's been asked of them is to do a, an hour of moderate to vigorous activity a day and it's not because they don't want to do it uh, I often ask have you ever met a sort of seven-year-old who'd prefer to walk rather than run well I haven't and it's a bit sad really because we beat it out of them somehow um, but we just don't provide the space for them to do that and that sort of then extends into adulthood and really it's about my, my focus actually is, is understanding one of the focuses is how to make it fun how to make it exciting you know none of us want to have a chore <laughs> We've got to go out and go for a run um it's got to be something you look forward to yeah and so how to make it fun for kids because my experience is that on the weekend you know they're all watching telly or playing the exports or whatever and i'm saying right we're going to go out and do something like oh mom you're always on about going outside <laughs> and going for a walk and even my 10 year old it's like I don't want to go for a walk. I don't want to go for a bike ride. And it's quite difficult working out actually what to do. Well, every family has their tricks. My trick is friends. Uh, mm. Get friends involved. Oh, we're going for a walk with you know, your best mate and his, his parents. Oh, I'm suddenly interested. And actually, you know, it's the same for us, isn't it? You know, if we're told, oh, you're going to get together with some mates and let's go and have some fun together. You're much more interested than if you know, your parents are <laughs> going to take you for a walk. I mean, yeah. We still really enjoy our parents. All of us do, but you know what I'm saying. And so different people also have different interests. And so you've got to listen to them. There's actually some great, come back to the study, the, the points about your kids watching playing games and watching television and, and well, it's not watching television anymore is it it's just looking at their ipads youtube mainly YouTube, yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> there's some interesting studies actually in schools where and, and elsewhere where when people children are given a choice of, of being outdoors and playing and, and creating their own games actually uh, over time they migrate to doing just that and not spending time on the phone the phone is a, an alternative because there's there's nothing else to do um, there's a great case study in New Zealand of a school that uh, really went, well, some people might say radical, I just think it's going back to normal. They basically said, 
you can do anything you want in the playground so long as two rules or guides you don't intentionally hurt somebody else or their property actually if you think about it that's all that's necessary isn't it go out and have some fun as long as you don't intentionally hurt anybody or intentionally you know do something to their property then actually basically you can get on with your thing your life and children are much better judges of what they're capable of doing than we are they know what their limits are because they've just learned a new skill yesterday well this case study in new zealand ended up they didn't tell the parents this they just as a teacher body they just said well we're just going to apply these rules without telling anybody about them six months later um, the kids were climbing trees they were skateboards uh, out there they had invented their own games their discoveries were as much that children are much much better at inventing games than parents are <laughs> and uh, and it was a happier more productive and they think academically better school but it's barely to say i think that's really fascinating both in the you know region of playing together and just being creative but also the productivity so why is it that we are more productive if we are more active so this is a big chapter in my and the book i'm writing so when you do physical activity one of the things that happens is you you produce a thing called bdnf brain derived neurotropic factor i'm gonna get a bit technical briefly but it, it's it's like having fertilizer for the brain uh, growth factors grow cells this is brain derived neurotropic factor growth factor and it was recently i say recently in, in scientific terms uh, 20 or 30 years ago they realized that this stuff grows brain cells and actually, if you put a, a drop of this into a, a Petri dish, so the, the scientist's plastic you know, uh, glass dish, and put it, dropped it onto some brain cells, you can see the neurons sprout more dendrites. You know, they grow, basically. And so this stuff is like the fertilizer for the brain. And physical activity is a great way, and one of the best ways of making this stuff. So there's a huge linkage between brain cognitive performance and physical activity uh, how much um well that's a big question what type also question there's you know some definite ideas on that but a, a good study in children that was done actually quite a while back um, about 20 years ago looked at over 100,000 children in california and just compared their academic performance to their fitness levels now if you're in the bottom one-sixth of fitness levels you might score, uh, well, I should put it differently, you would be in the bottom third academically on maths and English or numeracy and literacy. If you were in the top sixth, then you would score in the uh, top third. So you might think, well, that's not too bad, but it is actually from, the f <laughs> it's twice as better in terms of the graph. It doesn't mean twice the grade, but it does mean uh, in Britain with our, our GCSEs and A-levels and the uh, normal curve that you talk about a difference between a sort of D-ish type grade, CD grade and an AB type grade, um, the, the two ends of that spectrum. And BDNF and the way the brain works is a big part of that. Um, there's behavioral things that happen. Um, you have a much bad, better balanced brain. Um, so dopamine is, is a big thing we talk about. And dopamine is, is you know, happiness, it's stimulation, um, gets produced in, in a nice balanced quantity. Um, but BNF, really, you know, what better <laughs> invitation can you have than uh, go do some exercise, get aerobically fit and produce more BNF and frankly do a lot better. Yeah. Is there any other way of growing BDN, of, get, of getting BDNF? Presumably sitting on the sofa watching Netflix eating donuts doesn't produce BDNF. 
It doesn't really. Oh, um, that's a really. Shame. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I've got there's a lovely study which I love to quote uh, uh, from the University of Munster, and they actually got uh, uh, people jogging on a treadmill. So I've got in my slide deck a picture of a, a German in his lederhosen, and another bunch, you know, the couch potatoes. And what they found after 20 minutes of physical activity that uh, people's brain speeds. So they measured this in various different ways, and I won't bother you with the detail. Was 20% faster. So now, if you think about 20% faster brain, I'm interested in schools. Well, a school day is roughly five hours sitting in class, let's say. You know, not always in class and so on. But well, 20% faster is, is basically knocks an hour off school. Yeah. And it's cumulative. That's the other thing. So, you know, as you learn more, think about the brain as a, as a network of connections. And we all know that, you know, networks have a network effect. And the same sort of thing happens. It's not properly been quantified and understood yet, but the same sort of thing happens over time. So get fit, stay fit, and you actually increase those, those uh, improvements. Yeah, and I guess network in brains, networks are really important for creativity, aren't they? For making different connections between different bits of your brain and you know, being able to use all of your brain, not just the, the bit that's focusing on stuff as well. So is there any evidence about creativity in exercise, for example? So I haven't actually found any specific one on creativity in exercise. But your point about the brain uh, networking is uh, come back to physical activity. Actually, when you're thinking about stuff, you're actually leveraging some of those circuits that you created that were designed for physical movement. So actually being physically able helps you to be more cognitive because you actually use those same circuits. It's not as if one bit is for moving and another bit is for thinking. Actually, you're using both. And you know, creativity is, is a key part of memory. So one of the ways we remember is by connecting to an existing memory, adding a bit of imagination onto that, and that sort of is the leap that creates the memory, if that makes sense. Yeah. And actually, there's another, another point here, since we're talking about memory. So memories are often teachers will drum stuff into you, or we, we try and rote learn stuff, um, do something and get better and better at it. Well, memory strength is a function of repetition, but it's also a function of intensity, so I don't know, where, you know, you're working at home today, I think, but if you'd gone out this morning and, and a lion had jumped out in your front door, did that happen this morning? No, Not, no but occasionally no? it does. <laughs> it does, right. So one of your children jumping out at you. But if a real lion had jumped out at you, I can fairly much guarantee you'd remember that for the rest of your mm-hmm. life. Yeah, yeah. So that's an intense experience. And so playing with that and that uh, need to have a bit of imagination to create memories and repetition actually is you know, the way you create memories. and. I'm sort of going on here, but uh, one of the things that really nailed it for me how important this is, is that when you do uh, learn stuff, what's happening in your brain is not some sort of black box you know, thing. It's actually physical connections. So a memory is a connection between neurons. I mean, simplistic, you could say, well, one neuron connects to another. Actually, it's not. It's loads. And then when you strengthen that memory, that connection gets physically stronger. There's a thing called myelin sheath, which is kind of around the uh, the axon and that gets thicker and stronger so if you've got plumbing imagine you've got instead of a fine little tube you've got something big thick and steel you know and it gets bigger that lasts longer and it means you use it more often and that is a memory it's a strong connection between neurons and so exercise helps with that because the bdnf that's a big factor in in that sort of thing happening is that right so because it's oiling it and actually the bdnf yeah. it helps connect neurons together you then have these things called neurotransmitters, which uh, come at the synapse, which is where neurons connect together. And BDNF um, not only 
helps that process, but it actually also stimulates the production of new brain cells. And so you have a brain cell floating around waiting to connect, as it were. And then something happens and it's connected. So you've got more of this ability to, to develop and to learn. So that's interesting. Does it have to be really vigorous exercise or could it just be moving? A, a, a friend of mine has just bought a, a treadmill so that when her son's watching telly, she can just walk, walk, you know, not massively fast, but actually she's doing something. Is that, is that good enough? Yes, exactly. So what is the perfect routine is what we're yeah. after, isn't it? Mm. What can I just do and just have the, the perfect um, Einstein brain? So the answer is that it appears from the research, and I say appears because actually this is an area of quite cutting-edge research, that aerobic fitness is probably the most valuable. An intense piece of exercise can have a short effect, but it's incredibly short. And actually what you want to do is have uh, periods of aerobic exercise that build up your aerobic fitness, and that actually has the biggest effect on, on BDNF production. And they've tested this in mice, for example. Uh, mice, are, they're, they're great for testing. We're still allowed to do it on, on mice. Though I do feel for the poor uh, mice. Where they put them in treadmills and measured their BNF production and their ability to solve uh, sort of maze problems and stuff like that. So aerobic fitness is clearly valuable. Of course, when you're talking about young people, and all of us actually, you need some strength and conditioning as well. And that is valuable. You need it for physical health, but actually for brain function. Uh, it's absolutely clear that aerobic is valuable. So what does that mean? Moderate to vigorous. So moderate is you and I are going for a jog and we're having a chat. We're just about to keep a chat going. Mm, not, not sure. too much. No, Michael, I'm not sure I could chat if I was jogging. <laughs> cycling, let's use cycling. <laughs> let's use cycling then. Yeah, so you're just about able to keep a conversation yes. going. Yes. And of course, but it's actually a great metric because if you're aerobically fit, then uh, if you're unfit, then actually that's still the level which is moderate exercise for you. Yeah gradually you'll pick it up vigorous is just can't quite keep a conversation going you're just okay. puffing too much your heart mm -hmm, rate's up mm -hmm. too much and and uh, and so on so they also want moderate to vigorous exercise mm -hmm. interestingly though if you're talking about things that help you in developing better cognitive function there's another wonderful study of where they looked at people running in town and running in the country through a forest in fact it was 35 minutes in both cases. Uh, what they found is that brain processing speed was 20% faster for those that ran through a forest. So that's interesting, isn't it? And then if you start thinking about it, it's like, you know, the brain in some ways is, it, you know, think of it as a muscle maybe, but you don't think it's not a muscle clearly, but as an analogy, well, if you use your muscles, they work better. Well, if you use your brain, it works better. If you're in a forest, there's a lot more stimulation. And your brain, uh, without you realizing it, your sort of limbic brain, your, your um, more um, base brain, is looking around at all those leaves. They're moving, they're watching for animals. I mean, it's a really stimulating environment. Whereas if you're running through town, well, it's straight wall around the corner, flat, four, flat, you know, <laughs> flat pavement. Whereas in, in, in forest, you know, you've got to carefully drop your foot and the brain is getting a really happy, happy, stimulating workout. I get it. You're pushed for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole, and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops 
top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. Oh, and I guess there's that thing about being in greenery and in nature as well, which is really good for our mental health too. So you can hit all those birds with one stone. Someone I read recently that if you take your age away from 180, that's your sort of moderately aerobic heart rate is that right so that would be so i'm 45 so it'd be 135 which sounds about right actually to me is it 180 or 220 oh it might be 220 (laughs) oh my word if it's 220 i'm in trouble but remember that's your peak that's also the the uh Uh, the max no this is for the aerobic heart rate right so it probably is 180 for aerobic that's right Mm, yeah okay okay the, the, the max level so yeah. I know some people wear that those heart rate monitors to keep them in that thing. So I think whatever you do, it's that's just a nice thing. Whether you're out of breath so you can't talk, or whether you could actually carry on a, a good conversation, and that's that's important to know. So why are we so bad at getting enough? If it's so so valuable, why don't we value it so much? I mean, we were laughing the other day. I was giving you the example of um, because of COVID, it's obviously more difficult to exercise because we can't necessarily do everything that we could do before. But I took my daughter to school on her bike and we were told off for coming to school on the bike because there wasn't enough room to socially distance for lots and lots of kids around the bike rack. And I was really shocked because I thought, crumbs, the one thing that we're, we're doing is getting out, getting some exercise twice a day to and from school. So why is it that our teachers aren't really on top of this and why is it that us I think even as GPs we're not really on top of it for ourselves we might tell our patients to do it but we don't necessarily follow it ourselves why do we not really get the importance of this well you, know, you could have lots of conspiracy theories you could have all sorts of <laughs> thoughts on that subject I, I think um, yeah, in the school system and I work in we have made a mess of it by having targets and exams and so there is a lot of evidence that if you have an exam then people will teach to the exam yeah and actually, I don't think we want that. The history of education, interesting, in this country started out with the desire to, for, for people to read the Bible. So we started teaching them English about 200 years ago, 250 years ago, beginning of the Industrial Revolution, a bit more control needed over our population. So let's, let's, let's teach them how to read the Bible. And then there was the Industrial Revolution, and, and, and then they wanted a bit more than that. So they added maths into the, into the mixture. And then they wanted more and more. So, so, but it was all driven by massive getting lots of people into a classroom to teach them enough so they could just do the manufacturing job and unfortunately we, we're kind of stuck with that dna of the of how our, our education systems come about uh, i mean ken robinson sadly died uh, recently but he he really talked about creativity mm-hmm. and how movement stimulates creativity and it does is um actually you asked me earlier and i'm gonna come back to that uh, subject if you measure bdnf production it's much more stimulated by irregular music than by regular music. Yeah. So anything which is complicated, which is a bit more challenging, stimulates more production of BDNF and, and of, uh, and gets your brain working. But I think what's happened generally in the school system, we come on to us adults later, what's happened in the school system is that the focus on exams has driven some of this, but also actually there's a lack of education about this. Of course, every teacher wants to have a classroom full of, bright engaged kids but it's just not part of what is taught and so when I go and give talks in in schools they there's a lot of incredulity and excitement because suddenly they're thinking well gosh there's some tricks here we can really make use of in their case of course they have to teach the exam again so it's about getting more exam better exam results but nonetheless it's a step in the right direction 
But then getting no, the kids more active is going to get them better exam results, isn't it? So it's win-win. Absolutely. And, and actually, behaviour in class is better. The events we run as, uh, with our Olympic athletes involve uh, fitness circuits. I remember one teacher saying to me that, uh, you know, after the, they came in, we were doing maths, and, and then we, we came back and did the maths. We were halfway through a lesson. And, well, it was very interesting. For 20 minutes afterwards, they were really focused. It was quiet. We had the best maths lesson I've ever had. So I was interested by that. Why do you think that might be? You know, and that just illustrates that it's just unknown. You know, it's not something you've, you've known about or been taught about. And, you know, the government guideline is an hour a day of physical activity for children, moderate to vigorous. But actually, that's the minimum. And if you think about how we grew up in the savannah, you know, a few tens of thousands of years ago, we were jogging all the time. So that, which brings us on to adults. A walk. Just go have a 20 minute walk. Mm. It's amazingly powerful. It has been shown to stimulate the brain to allow you to clear your mind. Um, it's extraordinarily powerful. And so start with that. Yeah, and I've noticed the power of that. Yesterday, I, I did a three and a half hour uh, training that, that I was delivering online. And then I had I had a call and I said, actually, can we do a phone call rather than Zoom? Because I just need to walk. I felt so much better when I sort of walked a couple of laps around the lake. It's amazing how it just completely changes changes your mindset and I guess I, there's a lot of research isn't there about when you're focusing on something your brain is in focus mode where your brain waves are very linear and stuff but then as soon as you stop that and go and make a cup of tea or do something else or, or take a walk your brain goes into the diffuse mode so you are naturally creating being creative and solving problems and everything like that so it's really good for productivity it's good for creativity but how do we get people to I don't know, engage with this. You know, I'm thinking of GPs who mm. get to the surgery 7.30 in the morning and then they don't leave till maybe 6.37, probably at the earliest. They have to get home, feed the family, whatever, get kids to bed, and then often they're diving in to finish off their work. How on earth can they, because the best one in the world, they're not going to be able to go to the gym for an hour or, or do anything like that. Mm. You know, what advice would you give to people in that sort of situation? Well, for me, it's been about building it into your routine, but not taking it out of what you feel your your core work is. And so, uh, in fact, when we do these, these these training courses in schools, one of the things that uh, often comes up is, well, I'll just park my car a couple of miles away from the school. Yeah, there are things you can do really simply, which just give you that opportunity. Uh, for me, I'm fortunate that we live in Cambridge. Everybody cycles in Cambridge. Mm. My cycle route to Cambridge takes me over our local hill, um, which to most people it wouldn't be noticed, but we think of it as a hill. <laughs> but it gives me enough to get a, a get up to some you know, decent heart rate, and it clears my head on my return journey. Bit of exercise, 20 minutes, fabulous. And that's all that's needed to have a huge effect. The World Health Organization did a study, and they showed that just two and a half hours a week of physical activity which is not very much for us adults. What's that, 20 minutes a day? <laughs> a bit more than that. It just can really stave off the illnesses associated with lack of activity. So uh, your listeners may or may not know like this, but inactivity kills more people, or as many people actually, about the same as smoking. That's a pretty interesting statistic when you think about it. Sitting on that couch, is, you may as well be having a cigarette. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's, that, it's that bad for yeah. you. So, so <laughs> we're, we're, we're using... <laughs> <laughs> We're using shock technique here, aren't we, to try and get people out. But in practical terms, I think it's about building into a routine and starting very small. Mm. Yeah, Just a walk and then maybe a bit more. There are lots of apps you can use. I find for myself a, a ball, and for children it's a ball, 
need to be chasing a ball. It's amazing what you go after <laughs> chasing chasing a ball. And for your GP listeners, tough one because they do work extremely long hours. I would challenge people to say, why do you have to work those long hours? Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of GPs are beginning to work to uh, you know, balancing their work and, and home lives by just working shorter hours. I've been fortunate. I've met, actually I've had a conscious decision in my life to make sure I live near work so I can cycle to work. So I actually moved mm-hmm. and or, or not to sort jobs which require lots of travel to and from uh, work. Um, it's a problem at home. We've now living at home and working at home. Yeah. And so that is Zoom fatigue is happening. It's exhausting spending all day in front of a, a screen. You actually have to get out for a walk. I just say go for a walk. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a couple of really interesting things in there. I think firstly, it's about planning it into your day. And I think with GPs, you know, just saying to them, work less, that's tricky. But actually I have a, a thing called the Thrive Week Planner and I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes where it's a, a basically a, a plan of your whole week. And what I get people to do when I'm coaching them is to put down all the work they're doing in the week. You know, don't skimp, say exactly how much admin work, what time you're getting to work, when you're doing it. So you can actually see a screenshot of, of, of your week and then work out, A, well, most people look at it and go, oh, my word, I'm doing far too much. Work out what you can eliminate because most GPs are doing far too much. They've got too many roles and they just think that they can squash 25 hours into a 24-hour day, which just isn't possible. But then you need to say, actually, when is it am I going to do my exercise and, and, and block it off and plan it and be very, very intentional about it. And I think a lot of us are a little bit martyrish and go, I just have to work all the way through lunch. I can't possibly even take a 20-minute break to go for walk actually you can <laughs> you need to plan it you need to make a few changes that you can I think you do make the time for the things that you really really want to do and I think exercise is so important that it's a little bit daft if you're not planning exercise you know, in my week exercise is the first thing that I plan in because I know it's really important to me I found that something that works very well is as a GP you are a partner of practice but if you start requiring this of your team your admin team your nurses and others then it becomes the default mm. and so i've in my uh, companies and this current social enterprise i work with we have insisted that people take an hour's lunch break and i know that i've got this pressure to oh this is another quarter i need to finish but actually it's been fantastic we set that out right from the start and the result is that people do take it there is a gym nearby it's fantastic they go off and sometimes frankly they come back a bit late but i don't mind because they've done an exercise mm-hmm. and i know they're gonna be hugely productive and once you do that for others if you delegate away because i know that us leaders particularly gps who are very bright people you think a problem and therefore you think it's done and then you find yourself spending the next few hours doing it whereas actually the interesting bit was thinking it <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, and uh, but you actually have to do it and that takes up the hours is delegate there's a lot of things that as leaders we can delegate and people love it people love being delegated to i think dele- it, it's hard though we do teach delegation on the lead managed thrive course and we always say to people that if you are you know a, a gp or a practice manager or you've got a lawyer or an accountant and you are doing something that someone else in your organization who's paid less than you perhaps or less senior than you could do you're wasting money for the organization because you're you're paid by your time and so delegation is so important people feel guilty about it but actually as someone who has been delegated to when someone delegated when i was working at the university they delegated to me 
looking at and set, setting up a course that someone else could have done but I was so glad to be it gave me opportunity it yeah. gave me area for growth it's how I got into the whole resilience and leadership thing because someone trusted me enough to delegate something too but because they didn't take it on themselves and think they ought to do it and they, they should do it so I think delegation is a a massive way of freeing up time I guess the the counter to that is you have to have you actually have to have the people there that you can delegate to but I think sometimes again it's it's actually a lack of a lack of focus on what we've got to delegate and a lack of time to do the delegation then a lack of people sometimes so one of my other mottos is I, I always want to make sure if I've got you know, 10 people in my team and um, that they're all productive before I do anything and the reason for that is that 10 people is 10 times the amount of work if they're productive then I can start looking at myself and being productive but actually help them get productive first make sure they've got jobs that stimulate them and excite them and and they're really busy on and then if there's anything left you can pick that up yeah yeah and of course in order for them to be productive you know they need to be looking after themselves and they need to be you know doing exercise and I guess as an employer if you were looking at your team and there was someone that obviously wasn't looking after themselves and you knew they weren't being active at all what you know would you be I guess you you can't performance manage someone, can you? Because they're not exercising and that, you know, that's completely unreasonable. But, you know, I guess if you had, and I was talking about this with Caroline Walker the other day, the, the Joyful Doctor on another podcast episode, you would never look at a professional footballer and say, don't worry, it's okay not to train and it's okay not to eat well and keep yourself well hydrated. If that's fine. You just do what you want because you're paying them for their physical fitness. But then in work, we're paying people for their performance aren't we well uh, the, the answer to that one is in many ways does that person want to progress if they're doing an adequate job at the moment that's great but if they want to progress they might want to think about being more physically active all illnesses essentially require the body to act and and fight them whether they're obesity hypertension whatever they are and so when you're fit you haven't you've got all that energy released to to feel good i think we've all can remember a moment when we felt sharp and think back to that moment i'd say and think what was going on then and try and recreate it you know this, this sort of don't sit around it's not that helpful in reality what's more helpful is picture of what you want to do and how you want to be and, and actually since we're talking about work there's loads of studies have looked at physical fitness and how much money you earn and uh, that's obviously interesting, isn't it? Got over his ears now. So yeah, it's roughly twenty percent. Various more twenty percent more money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a like for like job. Yeah, you're going you're going to earn twenty percent more. Yeah, for, if I you're think, physically fit. Yeah, I think I can imagine there are some people listening to this podcast going, "Yes, but I have health problems, and you know, I may have obesity because of some stuff that's gone on, and you know, it's really difficult." So I think what we're we're not saying is you need to be peak physical performance but just you know there are ways no matter what size shape what other health conditions you've got of being just that little bit more active and that will benefit you whatever would you agree with that completely and the, these again they've come back to the talks we give in schools at the end of it we give them we say to them we want you to start something tomorrow which is tiny which is just one step in a direction you're not going to change over, overnight. You've got to change the whole belief system. You've got to change how you feel. You've got to get that feedback loop going. Just do one or two. Actually, we say two little things. One starts tomorrow, and that might be park the car in a, <laughs> a mile away, or even just half a mile away. 
And the second one starts two weeks' time, so it's a bit more substantial. And then we measure it, get people to, to have this sort of, that they're responsible to each other for doing it, uh, accountable yeah. to each other, so we pair them up. And that just little step in the right direction gives you the confidence that you can, you can go forward. Yeah, mm. a small step, just a small step. Yeah, I think absolutely. So I think that's what puts people off being active. It's, you know, oh, but I, don't, I really hate going to the gym three times a week. Yeah, absolutely. So do I. don't don't do it you know but if you like walking the dog you know around the park just maybe go slightly slightly further or do it more often it's doing something you enjoy i think doing it with friends like you said and we talk all about this on our shapes toolkit courses you know what are the barriers to doing if it's because you get home at eight o'clock at night and you've still got loads of work so of course you're not going to get off the couch and, and go and do some exercise so do it in your you know half an hour or something in, in your lunch break or, or something what it's the art of the possible and it's the small small changes like like you said and also not to beat yourself up about the fact if it's really difficult because that also can just paralyze people in making changes can't it yeah, and that's yeah obsessive it becomes obsessive doesn't it dog walkers live an average of one and a half years longer than non-dog walk, dog, dog owners okay no get no so year and a half in your life my, my kids are on this mission for us to get a dog <laughs> And I'm saying, absolutely not. <laughs> We've got two cats. They would, the cats would chase the dog away. It's but, interesting um, how lockdown has, has driven up the number of people who want bought pets. Pet yeah. prices shot up. And I think there's intrinsic need and desire for all of us to, to have this experience of nature, being outdoors with other animals mm. and, and so on. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a good thing. And it just that one little step. Yeah. Just, Don't wait for the excuse. Don't wait for your dog. Just maybe say to your partner, I'm going to go walk the dog. <laughs> be like what dog the, the, my metaphorical dog it's fine it's it's for my it's for my mental well-being and for my physical well-being and, and everything like that so yeah it's so interesting when you walk when you start doing this sort of thing i've done it a little bit at various times uh, you start discovering a local neighborhood and that's a very interesting thing to do <laughs> it's mm. quite uh, yeah, yeah you discover all sorts of things and chat to people and social yeah there's a whole other world of dog walking isn't there so and it gets people at the house it's really good really good particularly for older people to get them moving mm. so michael i'm afraid we're out of time but i think we could we could talk for another couple of hours about exercise and importance so we'll have to get you back on the podcast another time um if people wanted to contact you find out more about you know this fantastic uh, social enterprise about getting olympic athletes into schools to get people you know get people kids motivated and teachers motivated and and of course it earns a bit of money for the school as well doesn't it yeah so what we do is we we run an event which raises money for the school actually in the last four years we've sorry six years we've raised over four million pounds for schools and so and that's the idea is that's spent on being more physically active i would love to hear from anybody who wants to talk to me and so the best email address for you'll probably put in the podcast is yeah if you go to sportsforschools.org sports schools.org and just michael at sportsforschools.org will find me um Brilliant. love to hear from you especially if you've got um comments or thoughts on this discussion and what's worked for you what hasn't worked for you uh, it's equally important to know what doesn't work as what does work yeah absolutely brilliant well thank you so much and we'll speak again soon thank you bye thanks for listening if you've enjoyed this episode then please share it with your friends and colleagues please subscribe to my you are not a frog email list and subscribe to the podcast and if you have enjoyed it then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts so keep well everyone you're doing a great job You got this.